Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is the james altucher show today on the james altucher show so in part one, which was released today, Brandon Webb explained, you know, what happened in Iraq, what happened in Afghanistan, how did it start? He was in the first group of Navy SEALs that was deployed to Afghanistan in November of 2001. He started the SEAL Sniper School. He runs a military information service. So he explained to us everything that was going on, you know, like how the war in Iraq, quote unquote, ended, what's going on in Afghanistan, what happened in Afghanistan and the stories he's seen back in over the past two decades. But now in this part two, what happened in this pullout? Why did it go so wrong? What's next? Here's Brandon Webb. So what's going on? So we decided to get out of Afghanistan a decade or so ago. Why didn't it happen immediately? What needed to happen for it to happen? And why did it happen now? And why did it go wrong? Why no one stood up and said, what the hell we're doing? Why are we still in Afghanistan? And they didn't end it sooner. The only thing I could point to is just bad leadership and people that were afraid to, to speak up. And anytime you're in an organization where uh, people that's, that speak up, and there have been some officers that did speak up in the past, and they, they basically got shoved aside. Um, uh, so, and then you end up with this situation where you do need a balance of power. You put, it's like, everything looks like a nail to a hammer, right? So you put these generals and admirals in this combat arenas and they're controlling these, 
you know, these areas, like they, of course they want to keep, keep at it, you know? So I think that that has something to do with it too. Um, but can you think of anybody that went on CNN or Fox news that, on a, that had stars on their, on their shoulders that said, Hey, we need to get out of Afghanistan. These are the reasons there's no reason to be there. There's no strategic purpose to America. We're wasting trillions of dollars. Lives are being lost. Like nobody stood up and said that. I can't think of one person. It was just this like, you know, oh, we got to fight, fight the global war on terror. You know? Yeah. Wh why, why were they like that? Because again, they're the ones with the most experience. I mean, did it give them meaning in life to be at war? And they were worried about just not, I mean, there's plenty of other military situations around the world, not just Afghanistan. Just what? Yeah. Why did they, I mean, well, that, okay. Okay. I can understand though, if they say, look, we we're not ready because the Taliban's going to overrun us instantly. They supply the world's heroin and opium and they're going to have all these weapons and the, the Al Qaeda is going to be back. I can understand if they, if they said that, and then if they just said, we don't know what to do, you got to help us with, they had to be talking to someone else, help us create economic development in Afghanistan. And that's how we could pull out. Yeah. I mean that, and, and that obviously didn't happen. And, and that, that's, you know, what, what showed up to me, like it was no surprise to me when the pullout turned into, into what it did. And, and basically the Afghan army just handed the Taliban the keys, like no fight. The president, the president fled to the United Arab Emirates. Um, it's, it's because we never, had a solid plan for Afghanistan. We didn't have a plan that would say, look, we're going to get the government and the military to a certain point, And then we're going to stage a, a, you know, a pullout over, over a year or two that, you know, gets all the important people out of Afghanistan that need to be out of Afghanistan. So, so what, what, what would you have done? And, and then we'll get to what actually happened, but let's, let's say 2010, you're the president of the United States and you really want to, get people out of Afghanistan and reduce the military and so on. What would you have done? I would have first told, went on television and briefed the military. Look, this is our plan. We're going to set a pullout date. Um, we're going by this date, um, whether it was, you know, two or one year, two or three years, we're going to stabilize the government. Um, we're as best as possible. We're going to, um, you know, look at some economic incentives that we can put in place, but, but largely like we're not going to nation build, like we're going to turn over the country to the Afghans to let them rule however they see fit. Um, and then we stage a, a slow methodical pullout. We gradually, uh, you have a gradual troop drawdown. You start getting the, the people out of the country uh, in, in a way that doesn't have people clinging onto aircraft landing gear and then falling to, to their deaths and mobs storming the airport. You just do it in a slow planned out way and you communicate the plan to everybody. So they but, know like, okay, in this date that we set like this, this is the plan to pull out. Um, and you know, you, I would have left a small, you know, probably intelligence and special operations base that, that is in very much the way uh, McChrystal successfully fought his war on terror. It was like, look, you don't need large conventional footprints. You have a small intelligence and special operations team um, that can kind of gather intelligence locally 
and then you use a lot of air assets, right? The predator drones and 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 he, he was basically fired for for saying this. So like yeah. like yeah. so if, like if I'm if you were the president and you were coming up with your plan and I was playing devil's advocate, like let's say I'm one of these <laughs> generals, I would say, look, you could do it slowly, but it's gonna hit a tipping point where suddenly the Taliban's gonna be aware that they could overrun us and and Al Qaeda is going to come back and we're going to have people hanging onto wheels, trying to get out. Like there's no way to do it slowly. It seems is, is my worry. Well, you, well, the thing is they, they rush to pull everybody out. Um, but you keep the military there, evacuate all the civilians. So you do yeah. have that military presence and then yeah, why, you start slowly. Yeah. Why'd they out. take out the military before the civilians knowing that there was danger? <laughs> It's that great. seems like a low it's, IQ thing. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think that generally it's like you and I could probably plan have planned a better Afghan pullout than than what the top military officials advise the president. And and again, I I think Biden has a lot of guts for for sticking to his guns and saying we've been there too long. Like this is we need to come out. And it's it's unfortunate politically for him that it it was egg on his face because the, the buck does stop with the president. But I, I, I don't fault president Biden. I'm like, I'm like looking at this, these, this room full of these joint chiefs of staff. And I'm, I'm like looking around the room on, on the internet virtually going, God, these guys just aren't the sharpest tools in the, in the shed. And, and again, it, it just, you get this, you know what happens to organizations that have poor leadership at the top. They do not look for A players, right? They look, they, they want to be the smartest person in the room. Um, and so you get this, this leadership um, issue and culture that just breeds, it, you know, breeds poor leadership. And I, I think generally that's what's happened. Can you imagine the conversation though? Like, let's say Biden says to the generals, okay, I want to pull out and what should we do? And the generals reply, listen, let's get all the military out first and then, and then we're out. And then this Biden says, well, there's like 10,000 civilians there uh, who are American citizens. What should we do with them? And the general's like, ah, don't worry. They'll, they'll buy a ticket home from, <laughs> from American airlines. Like did that conversation happen or what? I don't even understand. Cause it's so stupid to not get the civilians out first. Yeah, I mean, they they pushed heavily, but they rushed it, right? There was it was this like rush job. I read an article, I think the um, Washington Post today about the CIA actually helping secretly get American civilians out of the out of the country. Um, there was an article, a story about a, a woman that they evacuated uh, in today's paper. But I just that's why I'm I'm looking at this thing going it's a complete disaster. And anytime a ship runs aground, there's somebody in charge, right? So I look at this going, okay, yeah, I get that the, the buck stops with the president, but really who was in charge of this, the, the planning and, and the execution? Um, you know, you have the, the obviously the, the head of the intel intelligence agencies and the military, and I think it's a complete disaster. And it showcases how we have a big leadership problem right now in, in the US military. Uh, culturally, and even I'll point to my own community, which I love the Navy SEALs. It's, it's a, it was an incredible experience for me. But I looked at my own community being overdeployed, over traumatized. These guys are coming back like I, I don't like completely changed people. And in in our in the SEAL community over you know over the 
time I was out since 2006. So what's that, um, you know, over 14 years, I've seen issues that with war crimes, with they sent a whole uh, SEAL platoon back from Iraq that were drunk and disorderly. Like this is crazy stuff. Then, then you know, you have everybody knows about the Eddie Gallagher situation. Um, I don't even no. blame Gallagher. Like well, Gallagher, well, what's the Eddie Gallagher situation? He was like a, a SEAL that was brought up on war crime charges, um, and his platoon testified against him. Like it was bad stuff all over the the news media, New York Times. If you Google Eddie Gallagher, so all this stuff is happening. The, the SEALs got investigated by NCIS for stealing Captain Phillips thirty thousand dollars in the lifeboat after they they shot and killed the pirates holding him. It's like all this stuff, and then. Just, I think, earlier this year, the SEAL Admiral in charge of war crime says, you know what, I think we may have a cultural problem in the SEAL teams that we need to deal with. I was just like face palming myself going, you think we have a problem? Like this has been, this is a serious, huge problem. Um, and how could you not see that, that the cultural degradation and a community that was once, you know, one of the, the top military special operations community in the world, had just been over over deployed, over traumatized, and and had on many cases, uh, you know, poor leadership. And, and then the admiral is like, "Oh, we maybe we have a problem." <laughs> you think? I mean, so. even even if you're willing to say, "Listen, we kind of messed up. We didn't really nation build. We don't know how to do it. Uh, uh, the Taliban's going to take back over, and we'll see what happens. We'll hope for the best, but whatever." Even if you think that, you still would think, okay, we're going to pull out, but let's get the civilians out first. <laughs> That's the part I don't yeah. really understand. Yeah. No, it, it's a great question. One, one I would ask myself if I was in the White House press this, room. This, has any press conference asked Biden this? I don't know. Yeah, I honestly don't know. Um, but that's a great question. Um, and And then now you look at, you know, the, the thing that was going on behind the scenes that, that we also reported on at Safra was the Chinese influence, right? Like Chinese very publicly embracing the Taliban. What you don't see in public is their intelligence um, mechanism behind the Taliban. And basically, I think the reason that the Taliban took over the entire country so quickly is because they had the backing of the Chinese, both, um, you know, militarily, but also um you know, with the with the intelligence being provided and the fact that they knew they've, they've got this ally in China. Um, so and, and the U.S. is kind of like scurrying, scurrying off and, and not itching to pick a fight with the Chinese. So so China has more influence in the region. So what? So a, sure. and, and this is where I'm just like, maybe because I don't give a shit and like a lot of people do. But like, <laughs> why does China care so much about having Afghanistan? Like nobody, you know, Russia tried, obviously the U S tried China is being much more smooth about it. Like they're giving money and intelligence and resources. They're not just invading them because they don't care about anything. They're just, they just want, I guess they want natural resources, but what do they want out of Afghanistan? Like, why do they care? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And something that, that we're digging in deeper. And I'm, I'm thinking about myself lately is why other than more influence uh in the region which which seems to make sense but but at the core of it like what are they truly after so there must be some something or some things 
Well, there are, are there are there like in in Africa, they're giving a ton of money to every country. They're building roads, and they're getting back. Uh, you know, a they're they're getting back interest payments on the debt, and b uh, they're getting back natural resources, minerals like China, like everywhere. The whole world lives on rare earth minerals. Africa's one source. But is Af does Afghanistan have a lot of these resources, or maybe the Chinese want to be involved in the opium trade, you know, to the West or something? I, <laughs> that could be. I don't know. Like, yeah. uh, like what yeah. is their strategic plan here? Yeah, I don't know. I, I would think natural resources, but I I've heard the horror stories um, in from from Africa, right? From friends that from these some of these countries where the Chinese will come in and pave all these nice roads, and then five years, the roads start crumbling and, and the local government realizes we don't have any infrastructure to maintain what, what the Chinese have built and it all starts falling apart. So um, th that and, and they are brutal about like anyone that's fans of Star Trek. I think of the Chinese like the Borg. They just move in and just rape every natural resource, the fishing, fish, local fisheries. Um, I actually have a classmate of mine, uh, uh, Thibaut. He's a um, uh, young French guy that through a long, funny story ended up in Guinea and got like chased this girl that he fell in love with, quit his finance job in London. And parents were like, you're crazy. Ran to Guinea, got a mining permit, uh, went back, spent a year trying to raise money to, to kind of use the permit to, to explore his territory to see if they had uh, uh, bauxite, which is what they make aluminum out of. Ended up raising the money, um, but nobody, everyone's like, Tebow, what the hell do you know about mining? You're a finance guy. Um, so he raised the money. They went back and um, they found there was a huge deposit of bauxite. And again, he got met with the same thing. Tebow, well, what the hell do you know about mining? Meanwhile, the Chinese mining billionaire comes to Africa, says, I'm here for the bauxite. And the, gov the government of Guinea says, well, you can talk to the Saudi royal fund or whatever or you can talk to this french kid and he's like give me the french french kid's number um four months later the mine was operational and he was partners with this this chinese mine and they're about mined out like the it was crazy how efficient they were because most people said it was going to take a year and a half to stand up a mine and that guy was like four months that mine was operational with ten thousand miners that many small children were willing to work there I guess. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's anyone's guess really, but I, I think natural resources influence regional influence. Um, and I think the Chinese are very smart about the way they do these kind of things. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, they've learned a lesson from the Soviets and us like, um, in, in Afghanistan, especially it's, it's, a. And, it's and we, crazy. We have to, we have to figure that maybe their strategy too is just to embarrass us. That's certainly a side yeah, benefit no, for all these things. Absolutely. The, the thing I, I talked about in an article I wrote um, earlier this week was I honestly think we need major political uh, reform in America. Like we should honestly, in addition to like a long list of items, like no gerrymandering, we should all be voting by phone. If we can bank by phone, why the hell can't we vote by phone? And That's a good point. Um, I think we would be smart to actually, like one, put term limits in place for the House and the Senate, but also I would extend the presidential term to an eight-year term. That gives the president long enough to kind of really think and develop strategic plans. 
and not have to be worrying about running for re-election 18 months into a four-year term, right? Because that it's like hard to plan long-term when you're constantly dealing with with um, with trying to run for re-election and, and all the distraction that that is. And, and I think people would be more serious about voting. They're like, shit, this person is going to be in there for eight years. Like, I, maybe I should really do some homework. But I I think... You know, in that scenario, Russia and China just can't wait out like a Trump in four years. You know, they just they can sit and wait, wait and see what happens. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs like in about a month. I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting... And, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX is track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day. But the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit. And I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats 
to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I was just talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see, you'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What's going to happen next? Like what? So we pulled out, it was a mess and, you know, maybe Americans will forget it in a few months, but what's going to happen in Afghanistan next and and what troubles does this cause us or the world? Like is Al-Qaeda coming back? Is ISIS coming back? Like what's going on? Al-Qaeda really never went anywhere. And the Taliban have a long celebrated relationship with the Mujahideen, the religious fighters from the Middle East. I think the concern is, you know, how do we keep an ear to the ground in Afghanistan and keep an eye on potential terrorist threats, right? I think that's that's a big problem. But we do have a very capable intelligence uh, collection machine, both in the CIA, NSA, and inside the Joint Special Operations Command. The military does have their own intelligence um, cap- gathering capability as well, very effective. Uh, but that's what I would worry about. Like, how do we prevent Afghanistan from becoming another terror safe haven again? You know, and so maybe that's through some back channel talks with the Chinese. I don't know. And, and you said uh, you that's say what I would be worrying about. You say Al Qaeda never really went anywhere. I thought they were pretty much destroyed. You know, in those first few years after we uh, attacked Afghanistan. I mean, you you we killed an awful lot of them, but. You know, Al Qaeda is. I mean, you can. It, it's almost like, you know, Al Qaeda and the jihad are one and the same, right? So you have this, you know, you cut off one head and one, you know, three more heads grow back. So I, I just like philosophically, I don't think, I don't think Al Qaeda ever went anywhere. Um, you, we killed a lot of the leadership, but there's all these like offshoots, right? Like in so many acronyms, I, I can't even keep track. 
you have Al Qaeda Iraq, Al Qaeda Afghanistan, Al Qaeda here, Al Qaeda there, Al Qaeda Northern Africa. So it's 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 um, quite confusing. But the the whole point is the the Taliban have a long relationship with 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 terrorists, which what they would call freedom fighters, not terrorists. <laughs> so that that's the problem I see in Afghanistan. Like how do we how do we prevent it from being a, a, a another terror hotspot like it was uh, prior to the 9-11 attacks. And, and how but do we, again, or, like, or maybe we don't, like maybe this is what's likely to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it could very well likely happen. It, I would be for sure trying to, um, like we need to choose. Like, I think we have enough trade with China. It makes sense to kind of, you know, develop some better, better diplomatic relations with China, um, especially they do their, arguably you know the largest economy in the world now um so uh we should for sure be trying to make a, a friend out of china or um, or at least neutralize have a neutral kind of ally there um so i, I would be doing that for sure but i would uh, you know if if i'm president and i would say look it's time to kind of clean up our own backyard um, i think i have heard a lot of good signals lately about you know, this talk of how foreign policy has, has been off the rails and now it's time to rein it back in. Um, Cause when you look at, when you look at this 20 year anniversary of nine 11, like is Afghanistan a better place than we found it? No. Is America yeah. in better shape since nine 11? I, I don't think so. Like we have major, major issues at home with, you know, just the whole education system, which I know you're passionate about. Like I, I think YouTube should be teacher of the year for America because most of my kids, they learn what's valuable through practical experience. Uh, I remember my son who's incredibly good at math was like, God, when I turned over our self-storage business to him at 17 and said, look, this is going to be your new college job. He's like, how come they don't teach us how to do a P&L and a balance sheet in, in school? Like these kids, uh, you know, are, are preyed upon by, by student lend the student lending system. We have massive issues with healthcare um, being so expensive. The, uh, the insurance providers and big pharma kind of, kind of controlling the healthcare system, which is a disaster in the U S and then, um, you know, our economy. So it's like, we got big problems back home that we need to deal with before we can start policing the world again, or, or trying to, to promote the American agenda abroad. Yeah, what is even what even is the American agenda? I guess it's to nobody, nobody have, knows. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Guess, that's the problem. So, so like, given this, all right, you, you, it's a very bleak picture, and like you say, and you know, it's not only man's search for meaning; it's a country's search for meaning, and a country is made up of individuals, men and women, and we derive part of our meaning through patriotism and the philosophy of your country. That's why these elections have gotten so heated. And how do we live a good life given that not only are mistakes made, they're not just made by one person. They're made by like a culture of people over decades. And we've kind of like drove ourselves into a corner and it's hard to, to back out. Like as an individual, how do you personally deal with it? Or how, how should I deal with it? Like I deal with it by kind of not, paying that much attention to the news. And I saw how angry people got during the election. It's just not worth it to me to be that angry ever. 
So, so how do you personally deal with the fact that things are a mess that we have to, and I mean, by the way, per- we're paying for it. We, we pay 60% of our income in taxes. Yeah, for sure. So I, I me personally, you know, I, I look, I, I give several talks a year to certain groups and, and inevitably somebody raises their hand and says, why don't you run for office? And I, I was like, look, I don't want to put myself and my family in, in that, that current system, which is terrible. Like there's like nasty business of politics. I said, I think the, what I can contribute still to America, look, SoftRep, it's, you know, we get a million, million plus visitors a month. The reporters and journalists at SoftRep, they're all former military. And we are very, we work very hard to uh, report as apolitically as possible. So I think, you know, hammering on these issues and, you know, staying on on message and, and kind of being, giving, you know, contributing to the news cycle in a positive way. Uh, I think that, that I can make uh, a difference that way. Uh, what do you, what do you mean contributing to the news cycle? Like well, having, I mean, we've uh, broken some, some major stories. Like we, we broke a ton of news around Benghazi and, and really kind of what happened in Benghazi, which the average American public didn't know what the hell we were doing in Benghazi, Libya. Why, why did this ambassador Stevens get, get, uh, um, his compound burned and he died of suffocation. And we're like, okay, well, look, here's what was happening with Benghazi. You have the state department promoting diplomacy, running their own agenda. You have the CIA trying to capture these like loose, um, weapons of, of mass destruction. Um, you have a JSOC special operations team working directly for President Obama, running down a kill list of bad guys. JSOC was killing guys that were on the CIA payroll. So the CIA, so so now you have a situation where these these warlords in Benghazi are like, wait a minute, I thought we were, I thought my friend was cooperating with the Americans. They just kicked down his door and shot him in the face last night. So this whole thing, you know, CIA doesn't trust the State Department, vice versa. They're, they're having to like, make sure that they send message traffic by official courier um, just so they can cover their ass. Um, then this whole thing bubbles up into a complete, um, it just spilled over. And, and then you have, you know, the British ambassador got an RPG sent right through his armor car, um, I think a week before Benghazi. And they're like, okay, time to get out. And the reason the RPG didn't go off is because the, the warhead has to spin a certain amount of times to arm itself. It was so close that it just went right through the vehicle. Yeah. Um, so, so again, though, this, this is bleak. And yes, you, you found yeah. meaning in reporting it because you feel these are stories that need to be told and we're not seeing them anywhere else. SoftRep yeah. is, is your new surface, sofrep.com. People should check it out. I check it out. For the average person, or not so average person listening to this, what, what do we do to kind of keep calm instead of saying, oh, the world's over? Like, we're just going to get well, overrun I, by corruption and, and whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm an optimist. I, even though the article I wrote, um, I just have, I have this habit of like, I, I feel like I can't complain about something unless I propose solutions to the problem. And so um, a lot of my own writing is like that. And and that was a lesson I learned in the military. And as a new guy SEAL, I remember my, one of my mentors said, look, you know, you're not a new guy anymore. If you have an issue with something, always be prepared to 
to present a solution or else to, or else keep your mouth shut. So um, I, I think, you know, we are doing a service. Like I, I've engaged with, we've had subscribers um, back to eight years since we first started um, SoftRep as a business. And they said, I, in the comments section, like, wow, I remember you guys telling us this could happen four or five years ago with Afghanistan. And here we are today. Like, how can I make a difference? And so I think the point is, you know, we, we have made a lot of um, positive difference with, with you're seeing things with happen in, in climate change and companies. The thing is we can't, this isn't a solution that will be solved by government that that maybe used to be the way things, things can happen back in the fifties and sixties. We need everybody kind of doing what they can to, to make a difference. I think you've seen a lot of, of this happen in corporate America with, with, um, you know, women's equality, which, which needed to happen. The environment, you know, corporations are now taking stands, right? They're taking stands for, for social causes. And, and this kind of thing needs to continue to happen. Like, how can this country let two part of two party duopoly give us bad choices every four years? Like, we need massive election reform. Like, we, right. we're really counting paper ballots. Like, we're not voting by phone. So, so we're, so, we're, so, so, so there are a lot of things that you can do. Yeah. So, so I, I get it. Actually, it, it, it's clear. Like, you're saying awareness on an individual level is the key. And it's not like any one individual yeah. is going to change the world. But if the awareness builds, and we all start are able to communicate with each other and continue building that awareness, then again, there'll be a tipping point and things will start to yeah. happen. We're not at that tipping point yeah. yet, but Agreed. awareness is certainly building, particularly, I think the fact yeah. that this election was so heated and controversial, whatever side you're on, whether you were for Biden, whether you're for Trump, the extremists on both sides were like animals. And yeah. I think that created a lot of awareness when people, when, 200 million, you know, voting Americans said, whoa, this, this kind of, this trend has to go the other way at some point. Like it's not healthy. Yeah. I hope they said that, you know, at least I said that, but I hope others did as well. And I think many did. So, but anyway, Brandon, this is like the 80th time you've been on the podcast. Last time was just a few weeks ago for <laughs> your novel, your first novel, Steel Fear. Yeah. How's the novel doing? It's doing great. We're getting great reviews. Uh, it's and we should i talked to ben smith our our uh, producer who did all the jason Bourne movies uh, i talked to him this wednesday about getting the series we sold to peacock uh, so hopefully we kick off the filming in 2022 and get the series going we john and i just finished book book two so we turned oh in my the draft. gosh when's that coming out uh uh, it'll come out next year sometime we don't have an exact date but it'll be next year so excited about wait. that and yeah some good stuff. We got a great SEAL versus Navy SEAL versus Navy SEAL scene. I, I just wrote the, the final fight scene, so it's pretty intense. Oh, excellent. How do you write a fight scene without making it too, too uh, like, he hit him, and then he hit him? <laughs> well, I, I when I wrote the final scene, I'm like, okay, you know, we're going to – I plotted it all out. Like, I, you know, you build the plot now. I'm like, okay, well, I know how this is going to end, so – how do I get to the ending? And I thought, okay, well, there's gotta be guns involved. So it's guns, edged weapons, hand-to-hand, -hand, dirty hand-to-hand combat. Um, 
and and so kind of like working through those scenarios to get to the final final uh, just like raw animalistic you know face-to-face fight scene um is pretty intense uh, well i can't i can't wait to read and, it uh, yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> and and also also you've been on the podcast for many of your other books, uh, The Killing School, which was your book about starting the sniper school in the uh, SEALs, your book Mastering Fear, The Red Circle, Total Focus, and and others. So people should check out your stuff. But in particular, I really enjoy SoftRep, S-O-F-R-E-P.com to get as a news source. It's a real news source. And Brandon, thanks for explaining this to me because like – I feel like most people, I sort of know what's going on, but it's been going on for 20 years. So you kind of lose track yeah. of the details and you don't even want to act. You get to a point where like, oh my gosh, is that still happening? Like, I don't even want to hear about that anymore. Yeah. But you know, we it was thrown in our face basically the month of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So I yeah. wanted to know more and, and thank you for explaining to me and, and all the listeners. I, I super appreciate it. Plus explaining Iraq and, and what was going on there. Yeah. So- No, I appreciate part of the change is-, is- this podcast itself, right? Like you have a huge, huge fan base. And, and I think many will be surprised to hear my thoughts on the whole situation. Cause you know, when we were living in New York a, a long time ago, yeah, decades time, ago, people would be, uh, people would be shocked. They're like, wow, you're, you're not this like crazy right wing, you know, pull my handgun from my cold dead fingers kind of guy. And so this is part of the bias I'm trying to address is, is look, they're, you know, we have, we have problems out there. So I'm, I appreciate you having me on the show so I could explain at least my own experience uh, from what's happened. Cause I think this is a perspective many people need to hear on, on both sides. Yeah, I, the, I totally agree. Well, thanks again, Brandon. And, and of course yeah. uh, we will see you again soon. Thanks for having me. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.